And so that's the moment, the kind of aha moment for me of kind of being like, well, if I can make this with walnut, I can make this, you know, you think about back and you're like, of course I can make this with turmeric. Of course I can use beetroot. Mm. Of course I can use berries. Like I know this, of course, cabbage, we did that in school. You know, mm. all of these things have color in them. And then you start thinking about, you know, in art history, we learned about ochres and, you know, different umber being called umber because it was from the region of Umbria. Because burnt sienna, all, all of these things. And it all mm. just came back to me and I was like, well, hold on, this is definitely a route that is answering those questions that I had up in Nakoma Woods, pouring red paint onto the ground, you know, like this is this is a way that the all of these things can come together. And if I can create a palette from anything that I want to, then that kind of is a lifelong exploration route that I can go on, you know, it just yeah, it definitely was kind of a big, a big moment. Cool. Carrie Cahill is a site responsive artist, natural paintsmith, and all round great person. So we asked her to come on today to explain to us the process of using nature to create art. And as we are a podcast that centers particularly around the production of food, how food can be used to create her work, and in particular, how it can be used to create paint. So Carrie is Irish, but she's living in Tasmania, working on acquiring a visa to spend some years in Oz. It's worth mentioning, Carrie and I are actually very close friends since we were kids. We've worked together and we talk about our different inspirations and work a lot. So it's actually really just an extension of normal chats. But I have to admit, the podcast is a great excuse to go a little bit deeper on certain topics. Yeah, this was a lovely conversation. Um, I kind of got to just sit back and listen to you guys having the banter. Um, But we talked about her relationship with art and food and her methods of working and how she uses landscapes to form her site-specific artwork. And this includes sunlight, pigments, materials from the surroundings. And we got a really nice insight into our toolbox. And to be honest, right now, I feel like going outside and boiling up a bunch of nettles just to make some paint and have a bit of fun with this because it just sounds like so much fun. And Jack, I loved that little crazy game you had at the end where you asked Carrie to create an artwork responding to your favorite meal. So um, yeah, that was good. And we're going to hear about her current projects as well. So folks, this is the Neighbour Food Podcast. We are your hosts, Jolene and Jack, and this is our chat with artist Carrie Cahill. So Carrie, how's um how's life down under? Great, really good. Really, really so beautiful. Living in Tasmania. Mm-hmm. Pretty specky everywhere, just great views, beautiful landscape. It's it's so stunning where we're living. There's just all of these it's kind of towards Hobart and they're just loads of peninsulas and arms and bays and everywhere you look there's just mountains seas mountains 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 valleys coming through all covered in trees it actually have you been there i've been here about maybe like eight weeks oh wow okay so you're only just in the door really yeah and so in terms of colors smells inspirations like that things obviously are pretty pretty different right now where you are yes absolutely feeling inspired uh really 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 inspired I think yeah it's 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 funny because I feel like with my work um it's also landscape inspired and site responsive and um I think I, to kind of explain working with natural pigments 
in Europe is very different from working with natural pigments in Australia, just in terms of mm-hmm. politics and landscape. And so coming over here, I wasn't quite sure how that would translate. And I didn't really feel comfortable going out into the landscape and foraging in the way that I would at home because the landscape mm. is really mine at home. You know, I have no mm. questions about whether I deserve to be there or I should be there or, you know, and coming over to a place that is so steeped in land history and colonization, that really was playing on my mind coming over. But to be honest, um, my work anyway had kind of started to look a little bit more at solar color, color from sunlight and okay. color using uh, UV um, and that's one of the things that myself and Rob had really started collaborating on was working with UV light and he's a photographer. So um, that kind of that's kind of where my head is at at the moment in terms of what I'm making. You can kind of see behind we've got a, a blue wall here. That's all made from sunlight. All of those. Beautiful. Colors. Yeah. Mm. So and that's what when we went to Thailand, we decided, you know, we were going over there, not really knowing each other to a certain extent. And so our plan was that we would make a book together and use that as as a kind of grounding for exploring what was between us and you know whether it was just a collaborative thing or whether there was more you know I think Mm -hmm. I always work well when I'm have a project um and so we ended up making this absolutely amazing book full of photographs and paintings all inspired by light and it was just such a great way of working and such an easy collaboration so now that I'm here at the moment we're kind of talking a lot about um working we actually have a project that we've just kind of embarked on and uh Rob's buying a new camera tomorrow uh which is really gonna kick off everything it's gonna be about the Tasman Peninsula um because everything is so landscape based for for me and for working with him as well um yeah it's gonna be exploring the spectrum of light on the Tasman Peninsula which is the peninsula we're living on absolutely gorgeous yeah. looking forward to seeing what comes out of that yeah so would you i suppose to break it down to simplicity do you think you could make a definition for what kind of you mean when you say site responsive yeah so i think i think a lot of people would have heard of the term site specific which mm-hmm. um is an art form where a piece of art is displayed specific in a specific place so it will be hung or curated within a space and that that space will dictate the parameters of how it is displayed or portrayed or viewed or experienced. Um, whereas site responsive for me kind of takes it a little bit further and where this, the land landscape or the site or the environment or the place ha- is actually part of the work, not only the place in which it is it exists. So for example, um, I run an arts organization called lay of the land and that is extremely site responsive and that was site responsive before my painting practice became site responsive i would say um or until i knew how to talk about it in that way um but one of the projects or one of the pieces that i always explain to people when i'm talking about site responsive art is we went up there was a group of six artists and we were collaborating on a series of works together um and it was on a headland down in west cork and the headland is pretty, pretty wild. And we went out on the first day to have a look around and the fog had come down. If anyone has been in West Cork, you know, sometimes that fog descends and it does not lift. And so myself and Hazel, who I run the project with, we had been telling all the other artists, like, it's going to be so amazing. There's these amazing views and this crazy cliff. And, you know, this is such a beautiful, stunning place. But when we went, there was absolutely nothing to be seen there. 
Um, and so we went back to the van and we were all sitting in the back of the van having a cup of tea and kind of talking about what we were going to do next. And we heard this beautiful sound coming up from what we knew as, as kind of down by the water, but for the other artists, they didn't know where the sound was coming from. And it was this kind of whistling, really light, like somebody was playing the flute down in a mm. field. Um, and we realized after a while that it was actually the wind blowing through those agricultural gates and whatever oh, yeah. angle it was blowing through, it was whistling a tune. And so for us, that just encapsulated everything we wanted from the project. We were jumping up and down, so excited. And so that that then inspired a piece that we made. So we got some agricultural gates that we went to, around to different farms in the area. And we asked people, if they asked the farmers if they had any spare um gates that they were throwing away and we kind of went down to the chip shop and we cut them up and we bore holes in them and we walked around the headland and we found the spot at which it was the most um likely to be windy on the day of the exhibition and we placed them we all stood around and we placed all of these flutes land flutes we call them in the space and so not only was the space important in terms of how the piece was experienced but also it was made from the land and inspired by the land and so site responsive i think it's it's kind of a, a three or four pronged site this specificity um mm -hmm. so in my work i guess to explain it in terms of what i do i i would have practiced mostly with acrylic paint before and i would have explained my work as capturing the essence of a site rather than depicting mm -hmm. you know if i if i wanted to kind of portray the feeling that i get when i'm in a cavernous space or the feeling that i get when i'm standing on a mountainside and it's really windy or in the depths of winter in west cork or on a coastline as opposed to painting a picture of that coastline i want mm. to use mark making and colors and um light and tone to evoke that feeling and um so it is in response to that landscape but at that stage i don't think that my work was completely site responsive because i was using acrylic paint and so it wasn't mm -hmm. until i started making color from the landscape from foraged materials from seaweed from algae from different um yeah, berries, barks, etc. that it really kind of came full circle for me, where the the image or the paintings that I made in response to the landscape were of the landscape as well. Mm. Just before we get, because that's definitely what I really want to ask you most of the questions on, but before we do, I want to say one thing, but I went to Lay of the Land uh, two, maybe three of them, mm -hmm. definitely two in particular that I remember, but Browhead, the one you spoke about with the land flutes, I remember perfectly because I'm very familiar with that headland mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I lived down there for years. Yeah. Um, so I'd walked it many, many times. Day, night, you know, like I I kind of camped there. I had like made bonfires at, by night there. Like I'd really experienced that in all the different things. And it's, you've described the making of, of, of that exhibition or I don't know, like mm -hmm. experience. Um, but I'll explain going to a lay of the land show from the the other side it's such a really really enjoyable day because putting on your boots and going for a hike and getting out into nature is one very enjoyable thing we do and and you know full stop that's that's just it and that's really enjoyable our going and seeing something that someone has made is also another really nice thing to spend your time doing full stop to put the two together is such an amazing way to spend a day you know to wake yeah. up in the morning to get yourself ready stick on your boots go out I would say there was six or seven pieces there. Eighteen. Eighteen. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, 
like a little treasure hunt when you walk around. And you just you just go following whatever path you want. It's not particularly crafted yeah. in front of you. And you come across things, you figure out what they are, what they're meant to be. Maybe there's an explanation, maybe there's not. Maybe it's allowed for you to interpret it in your own way. You spend three or four hours walking around. There's also other people completely lost walking mm-hmm. around that you're bumping into, which is also good fun. And then you finish it like a little bit cold and crisp and you go and you have like a bowl of soup and a toasted sandwich nearby. Like it is such an amazing experience. It's how for experienced, such that an, yeah, yeah, such an amazing experience on the other side as well you know so mm. yeah well done i really um thanks thanks I really, yeah, well I done really they were it. they were really beautiful shows mm. yeah. um it must be really interesting now kind of being on the other side of the world and having that kind of like irish vibe and now something completely different like the colors are so different the heat of the sun the the sea like everything is so absolutely reversed in australia have you found that's come out in your art as well then um yeah i i think i i think i think it's often hard to know what's happening at the time but when you kind of look back on it you can kind of see that happening i guess at the moment here it feels like i'm kind of in the middle of it but if i think about how my time was in i was here for seven weeks a couple of months ago and during that time um yeah, the work was very, very heavily influenced. I think we made uh, pieces in uh, maybe six different locations or five different locations from the centre. Mm-hmm. We went to the Red Centre, Uluru, and um, went around Uluru and then uh, made work at Sunrise. Because, So, yeah, just to give context to anyone listening, um, colours are really important. The colour of the landscape is really important because I extract color from the landscape um and so that generally ends up with being a very earthy browny greeny yellowy kind of palette um and in ireland it's also very seasonal so i would have often made a lot more work with berries or slows or you know in the autumn time and then as it would come into summer you have more kind of brightness even from specific plants so nettles foraged in um autumn or even the dregs of them in the winter, it would be very different from the color you'd get from them in, in spring. And that then would translate into brighter pieces and brighter work. And it would be responding to, you know, I can tell from a painting what time of year I made it. I can, you know, yeah. I guess at this stage I've just become so fluent in remembering the place and the location and what went into it. And so coming over here and having this whole new landscape and also having that slight change in process in that I didn't want to be taking uh anything from the land here as a visitor um i guess made me look at the landscape in a very different way but also australia is full of earth pigment so this is like the center of earth pigment and in ireland you know i'm going out searching for earth pigment in ireland all the time you get these really nice ochres and browns but the color here is so rich you know so i'm trying to crush it up and make stuff with it but don't quite feel comfortable i think i would in a setting if i was going to be working with um teaching people or if I was invited to a project with you know maybe a land-based cause or with um aboriginal community or you know yeah in that in that context I would feel very comfortable but just me going out and just getting it and making a painting and then selling that painting it doesn't really so so color I guess is all kind of wrapped up in that in what I can make and so those pieces even though they were made at the center of Australia in the red center they're blue 
because we were using mm. sunlight. And so when I see those pieces, I really see how different the light was in Melbourne as it was at Uluru, as it was in Tasmania, based on, I know what the UV index was that day. And that, you know, when we were in Alice Springs, the UV was really high. It was about eight or nine. Whereas when we were um, in Tasmania, it was much lower. It was only about five. And I can, we made triptychs and diptychs with each location kind of um, lined up and Mm-hmm. I can tell the difference between the color density in those. So I think for me in the last couple of months, probably a year, it's not just color from the landscape, but it's also the kind of elemental energy of it and using wind energy, using, you know, it, it all kind of comes full circle from having that lay of the land project and doing that um, piece that was um, wind based and now working with sunlight throughout my kind of last couple of years and, practice I have also buried things underground I've also put things in the sea and let the uh, water wash over them and interact with them and also there's a lot of alchemy happening so different colors will react differently with salt water as they will with uh, acidic water running off a bog or a stream that has high acidity so that will change the colors that I'm able to make because they're all very living um yes yeah, I, I just want to catch that point of alchemy here because like such a huge part of what you do is scientific do you find that you were always a little bit that way inclined or has this inspiration brought you into this way of thinking now or did it fit your character before you started um i would say i would definitely say it's more alchemic than uh scientific there definitely is science happening but i'm such an intuitive learner and i really have to understand something in order for it to make sense so a lot of times i'll be working with two or three different materials and they'd be acting differently and I won't know why it's you know it was dandelion it was yellow yesterday and today it's green why is that happening and I'll be trying to look up online and trying to ask different people and figure it out and then I'll find the answer in a scientific way and it takes me a while to be able to like how I understand it is I'm never able to explain the exact science to other people I have to kind of even in my workshops it's definitely more intuitive than scientific I do I do really enjoy science and I really enjoy learning about it but how I store that information I find is just so it's like I don't know as an example I'm like it's just because they don't really you know hard things don't like me next to soft things because they're like kind of beat each other up you know and I'll be <laughs> making sense of where it was it'll be like you know water has a tendency to stick to water or whatever it is. There's some other way of doing it where I'm like, you know, at the top of a glass, when you drop something in and it wobbles. <laughs> you know? Do you, do you like leaving that little piece of unknown within it? Or, or, or do you find yourself searching to, to kind of complete the circle in understanding how all these things are reacting? Well, no, I think that's where the magic is. The yeah, magic is the not knowing the magic is seeing it happen. You know, for me, I say to, people like my greatest joy in life is pouring liquid onto a surface and seeing it interact with other liquids you know and my art is a way for me to do that and that is a a tool like looking at the landscape I'm really interested in landscape and sustainability and you know I, I love watching sunsets and I love experiencing the outdoors and walking and being able to zoom into a specific bit of grass and see what's happening and then bringing that back to the Mm. studio really I just want a way to pour liquid onto a surface and I have (laughs) found a way for those two things to kind of happen and so for me I'm not trying to um like find out 
all of these things so I can then bend them to my will to make a painting. It's mm-hmm. the painting is it just happening in front of me. So, you know, if I'm mixing something like seaweed ink that is really viscous on the surface with charred kelp, which is um, would be like a dusted charcoal and seeing how they interact on paper as opposed to on canvas and just watching what happens. I'm not trying to make a, an image out of that. I'm just allowing it to happen and I guess because I've been doing it so much and because I spend all of my time watching that happen I become quite fluent in those specific materials and so after a while I know that on this paper with this water with this pH and this is bound to be the way that it goes and so I can control it to a certain degree but for me the my best pieces and my favorite pieces are the ones that at the beginning really don't feel like they're working and they really you know they're not doing and I have to be constantly reminded well, you know, I'm working with land here and just because it's in paint form doesn't mean that, you know, it's nature and nature has its own will and I am only just allowing it to do what it what it does. What I really love about this is you often do hear like creatives uh, as in like writers or, or songwriters or um, painters talk about how they don't control what happens and they're a vessel, but they're often referring to like a higher power or or some inspiration that comes but like you're using the same words but you're you're not describing that at all it's much more about like letting nature evolve and just kind of guide it and 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 guard it which I I think is a really beautiful um sentiment well I guess nature is the higher power (laughs) well yeah no for sure I'm not saying that it isn't but it's more like um this idea that like I'm gonna write this uh, story and the, only, the only way I'm going to do it is completely empty my brain something's going to yeah. happen and then when someone asks me where I got the idea I'm just going to say it just came through me you know mm-hmm. which I get it I get how that can actually happen like I mean we dream amazing stories mm-hmm. and you know to empty your brain but this is a different this is a different allowing of something to happen you know yeah and often I think of you know the last exhibition that I um body of work that I created for an exhibition I, I really felt like by the end of it there was the coast and there was the colors and there was the rain and the wind. And then I felt like me in the studio and I was just another element, you know, like mm-hmm. the, the fifth or sixth element to that kind of process happening. And the same way that the pressure of rocks kind of compounding over time created the minerals that were creating the hue that the pigment was me in the studio adding the water and mix mulling it into paint and applying it to a paper was was just another process being added to it you know Mm. um yeah that's lovely I think like certainly me and I'm sure a a lot of people listening would be very keen can we talk so about like the toolbox can you give us some examples (laughs) of how you actually like like how does this happen so with natural paint uh making so I separated in my head into three mm. three different processes so the first process is boiling and so boiling works for anything that um can be broken down pretty easily I kind of think about it soft, as an example things. exactly anything that like mm. you could imagine eating or mm. you know leaves berries that kind of thing that like doesn't have a really hardy outside of it that you 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 can kind of know in your head that it's going to break down in water you I would use the boiling method I would boil it up for two hours then I would take out all of the material so let's say if it was nettles for instance mm. um I would 
go out and collect a bag of nettles and then I would put cut them up or crush them up um, and put them into a pot and cover them with water and simmer it for two hours. After two hours, mm-hmm. I would take sieve all of the large bulk of material out of it. And um, then I'd have basically juice or and soup. Do you, okay. And do you reduce that down? And then? then I would reduce that for, you know, anything from two to eight hours um, okay. down to as, as kind of concentrated because you can add water I guess you can't really take it away so and okay. then I so I, I would do that for a lot of um botanics and that kind of thing and then the second process would be extraction um and extraction generally is hardier things like barks or um yeah anything that kind of just would take a little you know if you if you imagine boiling it it's going to take you four days to boil it and that's hmm. really a lot of energy used. so uh barks specifically i would keep in buckets and i would have them kind of stewing away over six to eight months um and the color would be leaching out of them and again then i would okay so you're that. just soaking um, you're just soaking uh, them in okay uh, soaking in water but then also you can use um oxidization extraction and so that would be submerging copper in vinegar and water solution and that would turn a copper pipe into a turquoise liquid um, mm. or creating um, liquid iron from iron again with vinegar and oxygen and using the oxidization process um, mm. and then those can also be used as modifiers because they are really reactive and your botanics mm. will be really reactive they're called it's called um, they're fugitive um, which means that the color won't last and so that's the reason why painting paint like paint has progressed in the way that it has because creating color is not that difficult but creating a color that's going to keep is very difficult Mm. and that's how paint has been developed over you know history and we've ended up with with a lot of very synthetic paints because as they became brighter and they held their color people wanted that more and more and so um yeah that's kind of the holy grail of working with natural materials is is creating a, a you know if you make blackberry mm. ink it is so beautiful and strong but two weeks later it's going to be kind of brownie gray mm, sure. um yeah and then the final method is through grinding so grinding works for um anything that's got earth pigments minerals um chalks clays that kind of thing and in that case mm. so in the other two cases you're creating a solution um so the the water is has the color in it they're bound together mm. whereas with um with the grinding method you're using pigment so then you're creating a suspension so you're using a binder then to kind of suspend the all the particles in um a liquid generally i use gum arabic um and that would be a more solid paint than an ink okay so that's going to be yeah i i i get what you mean yeah okay and is there any other so that's about creating kind of paints and and do you also are there any other types of, because you obviously add textures and different things. Is there anything I guess the paper found? must be important too that you're using as well, isn't sure, it? Yeah. I always do use you make, Do you make the papers or do you, no? Yeah, I've thought about it and it's probably something that I will do down the line, but I guess because there's just so much happening in the studio where there's so many different things at play and so many things reacting with, I always try to use stainless steel and glass because they're pH neutral and I always try to use pH neutral paper, same paper every time. So if something changes mm-hmm. and something happens then i kind of know that it's in my process and not an outside source that's creating that different color shift or, gotcha. or material mm-hmm. shift that, and that's just a personal preference i mean i there's nothing to say I, I also do paint on canvas and i use um you know i use i, I don't have a completely 100 percent sustainable practice i do use gesso and i do 
also use um, carrageen moss as a gesso as well for priming my canvases. Um, and I also use recycled yuppo paper, which is a recycled plastic paper. And yeah, again, it's that idea of just, I just love to pour stuff onto surfaces mm. so I can have the surface reacting in a different way as well. You know, paper will buckle, especially if you're pouring mm. a lot of liquid on it, it does kind of create its own shape and it can be quite sculptural. Um, and that's with my painting. And then also I would bury fabric under the ground um, in different locations and then allow the landscape to kind of infuse itself into the fabric and kind of tell the story of what's happening subterraneanly and that can make really beautiful paintings and in that case I really don't feel like I'm creating anything because I'm literally you know wrapping um different you know I might take nettles or grasses or oak galls or something and and berries or mushrooms and wrap it in fabric and bury it on the ground and come back six months later and unearth it and it's just incredibly beautiful and there will be moss will have grown through it and the embroidered lines from different things it's just really really beautiful um so yeah in that case I think you can absolutely take credit for that you've, you've given <laughs> the, the artistic space and <laughs> to be able to let the earth create that so uh yeah. no that's that's gorgeous is there anyone else working in this way or like obviously no one exactly the same but is there anyone you're inspired by in terms of the work that they're oh, yeah, doing yeah yeah for sure this there's loads and loads of um artists working with natural pigment for sh like i'm part of an international pigment organization um collective maybe you could call it and mm. it's called um wild pigment people if anyone is interested you can look it up on wildpigmentpeople.org and it's run by this amazing artist called tilka elkins and she's kind of just gathered all of these people around the world who work with natural materials and it's so diverse what people are making you know there's one mm. guy who um he grows fungus and the fungus then moves across the paper and makes the drawings and it's wow yeah like just so so diverse what people are doing with it there's a lot of mm. natural dyers as well which would be very similar dye is very mm. similar to ink you just don't reduce it basically at the end and you just it's slightly different but um yeah definitely a lot of um people working with it. i guess the first person i would have seen doing it is an artist called herman de Vries, and he was in the venice biennale and he had these beautiful um kind of squares just full of pigment from all over the world and that yeah I, I remember seeing that and being very very inspired by it um but you kind of think sometimes when you're younger that you'd have to travel around the world to do that you know mm. it couldn't just be in your back garden and it couldn't just mm. be you know my last you know especially during covid all the work I made for about three years was literally from two kilometers from my house and it's some of my most experimental and expansive work that I feel like I've made but I remember that time being like well you'd have to be able to go to Mexico and also to the Arctic <laughs> you know to be able to do that kind of work. Well from my traveling one thing I have realized is that Ireland actually has much more color on a um, all year round sense than a lot of the places that I've traveled because there are some very colorful parts of the world but they bloom and then die because of the heat or because of the cold mm. so the Irish climate with a good amount of water and a fairly consistent 15 degrees dropping to, to, to nine or eight and rising to 19 or 20 kind of means that things last they have a much longer life cycle in in Ireland I was quite surprised when I went abroad and realized that a lot of parts of the world are actually quite dead right. for a lot of the year yeah you know? mm. yeah mm. Um, well, like, obviously, we are usually, I mean, the remit of this podcast is to speak about food production. 
<laughs> I was wondering when that topic was going to come up. <laughs> but I'm sure it, your it doesn't need to be explained. I have notes back to food for every answer, but it hasn't said that way. Yeah. Well, I mean, would you consider food to be a paint? Like, that would be a good question, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. My, the first paint that then what led me to making natural pigment was with walnut. Um, walnut? Interesting. I had been working as a painter and uh, creating these works that responded to the landscape. And, you know, I, they were really exciting to me and it was really definitely going in a good direction. And then on the other side, I was working with Lay of the Land and creating these outdoor sculpture projects and large scale exhibitions, bringing together artists to work with the land to create art pieces. And while the, we were doing the third one, I was creating these paintings that would hang in a forest in Loch Ine. Nakoma Woods, if um, anyone, any of your listeners have been there. And it's this beautiful landscape, and I wanted to make these hanging um, canvases that would hang from the trees. And I decided, you know, I obviously was making them outdoors because of the scale of everything, but I was terrified of getting acrylic paint on the land. Like, we, you know, we had to mm-hmm. sign up loads of things with the National Parks and Wildlife Service that we wouldn't be doing X, Y, and Z. We had to do big risk assessments, all that kind of stuff. And here I was, like, in my element pouring liquid and just had to have so much tarp down because I was really afraid. And I was like, what, this doesn't really make sense. You know, Mm. I'm working with landscape, I'm responding to landscape, but yet the thing, the paint that I'm using is plastic and Mm. then I'm pouring it down a sink. And yeah, I just, I found that was kind of a moment where I was like, Oh God, I don't really know if this is working. I really enjoy when things aren't working because you, you don't know yet how, but you always end up finding another route that answers the question Mm. that you kind of had. So after that project, I ended up going to Brazil on a residency and I was in uh, doing residency. I met this Uruguayan artist and I was painting outside and he, we had, had a few chats. I had very basic um, Portuguese and he didn't have any English. He was a Spanish speaker from Uruguay. Um, And he gave me this little tin of stuff. And he was like, Oh, that's Nogalina. And I didn't know what that was. And uh, I started using it and it wouldn't mix with the acrylic paint. It kind of um, rejected it. Separated. Exactly. So it, it when the Nogalina went close to the acrylic, it would the acrylic would kind of bounce back. And it made some really cool patternations. And I was like, oh, what is going on here? And so I was working, making work with that. It was this gorgeous, lustrous brown color. It's probably my favorite color that I've ever made. Um, and when I got back to having the internet, I was looking it up and I was like, Nogalina, trying to hopefully remember that that's the word that he had said. Um, and then I realized that it was walnut ink. And so that's the moment, the kind of aha moment for me of kind of being like, well, if I can make this with walnut, I can make this, you know, you think about back and you're like, of course I can make this with turmeric. Of course I can use beet. Mm-hmm. Of course I can use berries. Like I know this, of course, cabbage. We did that in school. You know, mm-hmm. all of these things have color in them. And then you start thinking about, you know, in art history, we learned about ochres and, you know, different umber being called umber because it was from the region of Umbria, because burnt sienna, all, all of these things. And it all mm. just came back to me and I was like, well, hold on. This is definitely a route that is answering those questions that I had up in Nakoma Woods, pouring red paint onto the ground, you know, like this is this is a way that the all of these things can come together. And if I can create a palette from anything that I want to then that kind of is a lifelong 
exploration route that I can go on you know it just yeah it definitely was kind of a big a big moment big moment can I ask you in relation to food because you like obviously well I can explain but like I have known you since I was 14 maybe 15 I think yeah yeah um and you've always been an artist as long as I remember but there was a moment in time where you kind of disappeared and you came back and you were very much in food and I was, I was, I was in food, and I was like, Carrie is all of a sudden, and then all of a sudden we started having the same friends, and you, you were hugely inspired by food at one point in your life. Can yes. you maybe yeah. give us a little bit about how that worked into to everything as well? Because I, I feel like it was important. yeah, for sure, for sure, it definitely, it definitely was. So I. I'll tell you the whole story. <laughs> I went to college and I, I studied uh, fine art in college. And while I was studying, I set up an art space. It was mid-recession. It was, uh, yeah, it was definitely kind of a reaction to what was happening. Uh, very site responsive, you could say. Um, and we, we managed to get this tw- uh, 10,000 square foot warehouse across from um college in Dublin and we ran it for a couple of years put on lots of exhibitions and it it really was just kind of showed me that I had a real interest in putting on events and organizing and production and that kind of side of things and also what can happen by just asking you know we ended up getting this space Mm. free and it was kind of incredible um and then I left college and was running the space and it all just got a little bit too you know I, I think I just I was working a lot. I was working in a restaurant and I just found that I needed a bit of a break from the art world, but I still really wanted to do something creative and I just wasn't really sure. I was very broke. I didn't, I didn't really feel like what the, the kind of energy that I wanted from projects in terms of like everyone trying to reach a common goal and just kind of going for it. That wasn't really happening in what I was then doing. And so I kind of left the art world for a little while and I was introduced to a lot of people who were working really cool projects in event production and food. And so I ended up coming on board on a couple of different projects and then that kind of just snowballed um, that were, you know, a restaurant on a boat shed on the coast, west coast of Ireland. And mm. a lot of people who were working with sustainable food practices and putting on events and pop-ups. And I kind of came on board as their event produ- producer. And so within that, I, Jack, we worked together a few times, um, notably on your, uh, what's it called? Open table? Our uh, um, table. Our table. Our table. Our table. Yeah. And so, so, so for example, I would have come on board to kind of design the installations that went with it, the entrance ways. I was, you know, kind of, yeah, all, all of the other stuff that goes with the food event and also the service side of things. I, I always kind of got a buzz from that. And then I started working with people at festivals and building stages and installations and that kind of buzz. And I really loved that because it was definitely kind of, yeah, satisfied all of my creative things but also I love being in the outdoors and I love building stuff and you know it was, it was a really good buzz working with people collaborating um but again after a while I kind of felt like you know at festivals you, you build all this stuff it's so much work and energy and it goes up for a day or a weekend and it comes mm. down and it's gone and so it was during that time working with all those projects 
where I was having this really strong influence from food, especially specifically with a project down in our in Connemara, um, Dillisk, which was friends of mine, Katie and Jasper, who had um a they served food in a boat shed and everything was foraged from the area around it. And that I found really inspiring. But during that, I was also designing the menu and putting together the drinks and kind of everything that mm. happened in the peripheries and also plating. I loved plating up, mm. you know, that was really, you know, for a while I was like, maybe that's something that I can do because I love painting. And, mm. you know, I just didn't really, at that time, didn't really feel maybe confident enough to be a painter. You know, I, I, I was mm. making money from being an event producer and an event designer and putting on Mexican themed events and weddings and big houses and, you know, all of this building installations and working with flowers and working, making, you know, Takashi had that amazing um, dinner in the cave in Mitchellstown and I made uh, menus that were all made from seaweed. And so I was I was getting little hits of this, but I was mostly working in production. Um, and so then myself and a friend of mine, Hazel, had been working on God, I think it was Ballymaloo Lit Fest. I used to do uh, installations for that every year, again, working with food. Um, and we decided that we were building another installation that we knew by the end of the weekend would be in a skip somewhere. And we said, look, I was going to India. And I was like, well, when I get back from India, let's go to West Cork and let's make a sculpture together. Just make a sculpture that's going to be in the landscape, mm. from the landscape. And it's just art for art's sake. It's not tacked on to a festival. It's not tacked on to a music event. It's not tacked on to anything else. It's just art for art's sake. And that ended up very quickly turning into Lay of the Land. And we got six other artists involved and we've made 18 sculptures in two weeks. Um, but that was kind of the core idea. So for me, the journey through food and just working in the outdoors and just seeing all these projects meant that when I started my own thing and kind of had the confidence to go out, I was like, this can be it doesn't have to be art in the art world in Dublin in a gallery space. This can be wherever I want it to be. And I've mm. seen projects grow in this way. And I've seen groups come together and collaborate in this way. And it's been for mm. food or it's been for a wedding or it's been for a drinks company or it's been for, you know, and now it's for art, land art. Let's, let's kind of make that happen. So hugely influential for sure. Mm. Wow. Of all of those um, beautiful food stories, was there any one in particular that really impacted you as an artist? Yeah, I definitely think Dillisk as a, as a whole um, was really, really, really inspiring. I think just the... I, I really like when, when there are parameters on things. I think you make great work when you have boundaries. I think boundaries are great for everything, but I think, mm. you know, I... I when you kind of have a completely open book of any, you can do whatever you want in the world. I think that can be quite stifling because you're always second guessing yourself. And mm. so I think having, seeing what they were able to achieve by creating a menu that was different every single week, most nights, even just based on what they could get um, mm. from the guy down the road who had the tomatoes and going out foraging for X, Y, and Z and putting that all together and the, how everyone responded to that and how, you know, it, it, that really felt like an art project to me. And um, I think I, I ended up living down in Connemara for the time, two summers in a row that that was happening. And before that, I'd never really thought about living in the countryside. And since mm. then, I, I completely, you know, I, I mostly lived in the countryside and I'm drawn to that. Yeah, outside of cities a lot, a lot more. And yes, yeah, so I think I think that would have been, and just the, the creativity that went into every single dish and, you know, sitting around, during the day trying to like 
get the flavor profile perfect and we'd all be tasting and being like oh maybe this maybe this maybe this and not being able to just add a little bit of some you know it had to be what was Mm. able to be got from the area Mm. so so I, I think that that for me really felt very creative and very similar to how I create work and you know you're just always trying to tweak things slightly and I guess when I kind of started working with natural materials to make paint it's the same thing like I can't make neon pink it isn't possible to mm. put neon pink from the Irish landscape and so that then there are boundaries in place so what can I do and what it, what is it what are the materials saying to me and how can I express that um in a way that other people can engage with I guess yeah mm. site responsive food mm-hmm. yeah. site responsive for sure. art for sure yeah I wanted to play a game with mm-hmm. you so can I ask you like what's your can you give me I, it's it's an annoying question but like your favorite dish or like one of your favorite dishes maybe your favorite dish of the moment what what would it be like I think it's your favorite dish Jack my favorite dish yeah I have to tell the you pasta, my, pasta. I have to tell you my <laughs> I have to tell you my favorite dish yeah I think three courses or make a triptych oh dear okay um this definitely isn't my favorite dish but i'm just gonna like say what i would like to eat what i would like to eat right now okay um okay to start with i would probably have like because it's spring now and i'm not done with soup yet but maybe now i might swap to like a broth so i might have like a um, like a like a, a nice light summery broth that has herbs and and stuff in inside in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm also going to say this because I can't have it. But this is one of the things I miss the absolute most about Ireland is probably a piece of mackerel. Mm-hmm. I would probably have a piece of mackerel <laughs> with a small salad and maybe something like pickled beetroot or something like that. So a mackerel salad. Okay. And dessert, I don't eat dessert. I'm sorry. Okay, well, we'll do a diptych. So so I, <laughs> I guess if I was creating a piece in response to that um, or with that, I mean, if I actually was doing this, I would just be getting all of those ingredients and I would be boiling, grinding, and extracting what I could from them. But I would also be really looking at the, the textures. So for instance, if you're talking about a really light broth, for me, that would be, uh, a lot of negative space, a lot of mm. white space on a page. It would be a light wash. It would it wouldn't be heavy application of color. Um, mm. It would be kind of yeah, I guess allowing the um, just creating something very very light and allowing it to move across a page and kind of settle where maybe some parts were a little bit thicker than other and you might get that little bit of transparency. Um, and then in comparison to something like, let's say, the, the, the beetroot on your mackerel, I mean, that's going to be bright pink and that's going to be, you know, for me, the idea of that near or around mackerel, it's like definitely just kind of splotched in there. So it kind of just runs into everything, <laughs> you know, the same way that when you're eating something like beetroot, you've got this like grounded taste that comes into your mouth and it you know, you mm. want it to kind of just linger there a little bit longer. Um, with the mackerel, I mean, always mackerel skin is just something that I absolutely adore, that iridescent, beautiful kind of, so I think I would play around with like color 
flecks and washes to try and kind of capture that. Um, and I think layering as well, when it comes to something like a salad, I would definitely be just like putting colors on top of colors, little bits, and just building it into very similar to how you would build a plate of food. You know, if you were serving mm. it to somebody, you'd have mm. some on some corner and then maybe overlapping a little bit, nice kind of Venn diagrams happening where you're going to get a bite that's just got a little bit of mackerel on it because you really want to give that mackerel full space to be to be tasted, but you also want somebody to have a fork that's got salad and mackerel so you played it up in that way where you're kind of allowing each part to have its own moment but also be kind of mixed together I guess Hmm. yeah would be how I would translate that into making a a painting beautiful have you um because I do find that the idea of trying to capture the skin of a fish is probably fun Mm -hmm. <laughs> I have a piece of Carrie's work in my new house actually. Oh lovely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You gave it to me for our for our wedding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I haven't framed I haven't framed it yet. That's the um, I have not decided. It's in our kitchen. From Gascanan. Okay. Is it? Where's Gascanan? That's the sound by Cape Clear. In Cape Clear and Gascanan sound. Yeah. It's beautiful yeah. anyway. Yeah. Um going back to the idea about fish skin so the project that I'm doing at the moment here or working towards is um looking at color spectrums so um kind of putting colors next to each other and seeing how light refracts and and kind of creating blends and so Mm -hmm. I think that is definitely from a desire to just be able to get my head around things like sunsets and Mm -hmm. just when you're looking at a landscape and the the light is coming through and it's hitting it in a certain way that you just, it's lit up and, you know, no camera can take that. Mm. It's, it's really just something that you have to experience. And I think for me, I think I can make sense of it most with like trying to imagine it as a spectrum of color on a sheet that's just, you know, for instance, blue, red and green and just blended together and where the blue and the green blend, what color it appears and kind of trying to work from there. So I think for something like mackerel skin, it's just, thousands of those laid over each other you know <laughs> beautiful <clears throat> amazing Harry. i think that was absolutely lovely wasn't it <laughs> thank is you is there anything in there that we didn't talk about that you'd love to mention um yeah i guess on on your point about uh making your dinner uh into mm. a painting i do that is something that I, I really enjoy doing is is commissions for people who have something that they really love and that they mm. they want captured in a painting um and i think you know it, it's hard to kind of explain to people that i can do it with anything or i'd love to do try it with anything it doesn't have mm. to be a specific place it doesn't have to be an ingredient um that that's the responding to things is something that i definitely get a good buzz out of um, and it can be really fun commissioning process. Um, so I guess, yeah, if anyone does have any ideas, don't be afraid to get in touch. Um, and yeah, check out my website. Yeah, how can people find you? My uh, What's your website details. Uh, my website is carriecahill.com, K A R I C A H I W L. And my Instagram is carriecahill.studio. And Lay of the Land is on Instagram and the internet as well. Uh, Lay of the Land project on Instagram, I think. Um, and then my new project that we're doing with Rob out here, collaborate, collaboration, is called The Earth Spun Light. 
and that can be found on Instagram. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Carrie, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Jacqueline. So much to you.